new life and, and brought an end to our old lives of sin. This is our hope then and our comfort as we worship God this morning. Having then heard God's good promises, let's now turn to God's Word. And our scripture reading this, this morning comes from Acts 15 in the first place. Acts chapter 15. Acts 15, verses 22 through 41. This is after the Jerusalem Council gave some instructions relating to the unity of Jews and Gentiles and the way that uh, we are to conduct ourselves in the Christian church. Beginning then in verse 22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both with both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because, because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." So far from Acts 15, let's also turn just a few pages forward to Acts chapter 19. Here we get yet another glimpse of the missionary work that was being done uh, through Paul and the other apostles. Acts 19, we'll begin in verse 28 and we'll read through chapter 20, verse 12. This is after... Uh, Paul uh, 
was, was preaching the gospel and there was opposition in Ephesus. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly." For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through, these, through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, taking him in his arms, and said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to... Oh, excuse me, that's as far as we want to go. Having then heard the word of God, let's respond in worship by singing from Psalm 107, stanzas 9 through 12. Cannot help but think that that must have been one of the psalms that Paul and the other apostles would have sung on their journeys. A psalm about God's old covenant people, and yet uh, surely uh, they could relate to it very well in all of the storms and trials that they went through. And indeed, uh, 
even all water aside, it is very much an analogy that can be uh, built upon for all the storms of life that Christians go through and see God's uh, saving hand. Our text that we want to focus on this morning comes from Colossians 4, the verses 7 through 18. This is our final uh, sermon in our series in Colossians Colossians 4, the verses 7 through 18. Paul writes to the Colossian church, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha, and the church in her house." And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So far, the word of God. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we've come to the last sermon in our series in Colossians, and we find ourselves here in these these extra verses, as they are often uh, regarded, these final greetings between Paul and the church in Colossae. And the first point that I want to draw out of this text is perhaps so obvious that we don't see it, but it is that the letters of the apostles that make up the majority of the New Testament were letters. They're letters. Now, I know that's that's obvious, uh, but it's worth bearing in mind, these are not doctrinal treatises. These are not uh, doctrinal textbooks. Uh, We get in them not just a picture of, of Paul's theology or Paul's doctrine. We get a picture of Paul himself, of the man, of his love, and of the living relationship that existed there between him and this church. It's a letter. And we want to pay attention to these things as well. Uh, The final greetings in in the letters, this is true for all of the the epistles, uh, are often the parts that we, we ignore or we read not really expecting to learn much from. 
That's partly because we figure it's, you know, it's just personal matters between Paul and Colossae, and so it's not really my business. Uh, but I'm increasingly convinced that we also overlook these, these last verses, uh, these last verses in each of these letters, because of certain cultural biases that exist among us, that cause us to ignore what actually stands right in front of us. And what I mean is this. We live in our culture in a very individualistic, a very lone ranger kind of, of culture. It is each man for himself, uh, and, and life is, is about each one of us reaching our own individual potential in our culture. That's, that's just the way our culture is. Most other cultures in the world aren't like that. They, they have a far more communal mindset. Uh, now, that is, that is changing in our culture. Uh, we, we are talking in our culture more and more about communities, also within the Christian church, about Christian communities, and, and that's a good thing. And yet, our culture still is what it is. Uh, more generally, outside the church, but also within the church, we still are very individualistic in our culture. Uh, and that means we, we still have a very poor understanding of, of communities and of relationships. Uh, in, in fact, I would argue that reality, that individualistic reality and that inability to have relationships is probably worse now uh, than it has ever been in our culture, in large part because of social media, because of smartphones, uh, because of uh, things like this that cause us to be even more isolated from one another. And that makes these last bits of, of these letters to the churches, it makes them even harder to, to understand and to relate to. Uh, and, and so, to the degree that it's true of us that we are an individualistic culture, it can result in us overlooking the relational and the team dynamics that are at play here in, in these letters that are really right here on the surface of, of our text. So that's what we want to pay attention to this morning. What we see in this text is Christ builds his church through the joint effort of many servants, of many servants. Now, let me first put this in, in context so that we can also have an opportunity to connect this to, to our church here today. Uh, Paul and his fellow workers were missionaries. They were sent out by a number of different churches to preach the gospel, to spread the name of Christ, to disciple new Christians, to establish churches, and to appoint pastors, elders, and deacons in each of those churches. That is a tremendously heavy task. Uh, one that certainly would have weighed upon these missionaries. And, and it's one that takes many years to accomplish, as well as many people to accomplish. It is a joint effort. Uh, when we think of, of the missionary work in, in, the apostle, in, in the apostolic church, we very easily think immediately of Paul. Everybody knows the name of Paul. Uh, and that might lead us to think erroneously that Paul was, was kind of doing this on his own, uh, that it was a, a one-man job, as if he, he single-handedly established the Christian church in all of, of Asia and uh, in, in all of the Roman Empire. That is so far from the truth. Uh, first of all, the, the Christian church was already established as far as Syria before Paul was even a Christian. 
That's why Paul was converted on the road to Damascus in Syria as he was preaching, uh, the, or as, as, as he was persecuting the church. Uh, and and after, after Paul became a Christian, he still spent 12 years uh, being discipled, being taught by Priscilla and Aquila. And when he was finally sent out from Antioch on his first journey, he was accompanied. He was accompanied by Barnabas. Uh, along the way, too, many, many other Christians joined this effort. It was not at all a one-man show. Uh, nearly all of Paul's letters were written together with at least one other apostle or, or pastor. Uh, if you look at, at just the initial greetings at the beginning of each letter, uh, you see that 1 Corinthians was written together with Sosthenes. Second uh, Corinthians was written together with Timothy. Galatians uh, was written together with a number of, of other brothers. Uh, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon were all written together with Timothy. Uh, First and Second Thec- Thessalonians were written together with Silvanus and with Timothy. This is not a, a, a single man's work. All told, in fact, we know of 90 people, 90 people who worked on Paul's team, whose names are mentioned explicitly in Scripture, even though very few of us actually know their names. So we immediately think of Paul, but he was not a lone ranger. And so we want want to recognize now, when we come to the greetings portion of, of these letters, that what we are witnessing are relationships that formed through that teamwork in advancing the gospel of Christ. We see relationships there in in these verses. Uh, Relationships without which ministry will never be fruitful. It will never be fruitful without those relationships. It was a tremendous task laid upon the apostles and one that could not have been accomplished without joint effort of many, many servants. I want to relate this now to, to us here in, in Alora. Uh, we are here planted as a church of Christ, planted in this community by the grace of God. And we have a tremendous task before us as a church as well. Uh, we, have, uh, uh, we have tasks on multiple fronts. On the one hand, we have a responsibility as a church to fulfill the Great Commission to go out and make disciples of of all nations. Uh, That is our task as a church. As Christ commanded his disciples, that that that, uh, uh, is our command as well. It's our mission, uh, both at home and and abroad. And so there's, there's work on those fronts. There's also work on the home front here within the congregation. Uh, when we speak of Christ building his church, uh, it's not only outside in mission or in evangelism, it's also in the church that the church needs building, building up uh, in maturity, in discipleship. And in fact, I would argue that task is even more primary, even more uh, important, or at least comes first than that of mission and evangelism. We are to be disciples before we can properly go and call disciples. Uh, So the growth that we are called to work for, even within the church, is not only numerical, adding numbers to the church, it's also spiritual, growing in maturity, growing in in discipleship, and that's also part of the task that weighs upon us as a congregation. Uh, If you remember from the very first sermon in this series, 
in Colossians. Uh, That was Paul's prayer for the Colossians as well, and his main purpose, actually, in writing this letter, uh, that they would grow in wisdom. This is in in the first verses of chapter 1. That they would grow in wisdom and understanding and godliness of life, bearing fruit in every good work. Uh, that's the task that also stands before us as a congregation, as a Christian community. Uh, and that involves hard work on many different fronts. Hard work on different fronts. We are to grow in wisdom and understanding and godliness of life, bearing fruit in every good work. That's, di- that's a diverse task with many different fronts. And that growth here in Alora will only happen through the joint effort of many servants of Christ, all pulling in the same direction. Uh, For us to not only remain faithful as a church, but to grow forward as a church in maturity and wisdom and discipleship, uh, to be a fruitful church that's a light on on a hill, as Jesus says, or salt on, on the earth, much work needs to be done, and it's work that will be done in partnership. Uh, between many brothers and sisters, through the joint effort of many servants. And so our text gives us a picture of of what this partnership looks like. Uh, There are five dynamics that that I want to see here at play play here on Paul's team in their joint effort, uh, from which I believe we have a lot to learn. As I reflected on, on Paul's team and, and their, their joint effort over the, the past week, uh, it really became clear to me how, how immediately relevant and, and needful this is for the church uh, today. Uh, the first dynamic you see on Paul's team that we want to pay attention to is humility. Humility. Uh, Paul commends Tychicus in, in verse uh, 7. Now, Tychicus was a missionary and a preacher who accompanied Paul on most of his journeys. And it was, it was Tychicus who would have carried this letter from Paul to the Colossians. Uh, since Paul was in prison and he couldn't visit the church himself, Paul send, sent Tychicus to go there in, in his place. And Paul commends him here as a beloved brother, Verse uh, 7, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Uh, he was sending him to carry, uh, not just to carry the letter, but also to let the Colossians know about everything he was doing. That's what he says in verses 7 and 8. Uh, and, and to let them know how he was, and, and also to encourage them in, in their faith. Uh, Tychicus then would have carried the letter. He would have been probably the one to have read the letter to the congregation. And then after that, he would have spent some time preaching the gospel, teaching them, discipling, visiting them in their homes, uh, and so forth. Uh, so, so, if you think about it, Tychicus would have been the first person to preach this, this, this letter uh, that we are now working through. Uh, what we want to notice is Tychicus's humility. Okay. You try to say that. Uh, Tychicus's humility uh, to be able to work alongside Paul for the, on the same mission, and yet with almost none of the same name recognition. I mean, how, how many of you, when you think of Paul's uh, missionary journeys, do you immediately think of Tychicus, though he was there with Paul all along? Um, and yet, so, so he served with Paul for the same purpose, to proclaim the gospel, to spread the honor of Christ throughout the world. And he was able to do so without needing 
that name recognition. That takes humility on, on his part. Uh, you, can, you can recognize that same humility in a number of other men that Paul mentions here. Uh, all of them were serving at great cost to themselves, great expense, without needing the recognition. And why? Because they love the Lord and they love his church. It takes humility. It takes love. Uh, effective teamwork then cannot happen without humility, and that's especially true within the church. Uh, we are not here. I speak to the elders, to the deacons, and to all of us as, as servants of Christ. We are not here to promote ourselves. We are here to promote the honor and glory of Christ, and that takes a certain measure of humility. Uh, inevitably, certain individuals are going to get more honor, more recognition, whether deserved or not, uh, sometimes in proportion to their accomplishments, sometimes not so much. Uh, it takes great humility and great selflessness to be able to continue to work for the glory of Christ, for the building of the church, uh, and not to become envious or rivalrous or self-serving. It takes humility. Uh, secondly, we also want to recognize the commitment of these fellow workers. I've noticed that Paul calls Tychicus a faithful minister. That means he was, he was steadfast in his work. Uh, there were good times. There were also very hard times. And Tychicus was faithful through them all. He was reliable. He was dependable. And he worked hard. Uh, as a preacher of the gospel, we know uh, that he, he not only accompanied Paul, but he also uh, went to places that Paul could not go, that Paul was prevented from going. Tychicus would go there uh, ahead. Uh, undoubtedly, he would have spent some time preaching at Rome uh, while, while Paul was there in prison. Uh, we read elsewhere of him being sent to Ephesus on his own. So he's faithfully working hard, not for himself, but for the glory of Christ. Um, and commitment, commitment is a quality we can observe in almost every one of the names that Paul mentions here. Uh, consider this man Aristarchus as well. Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. Uh, Aristarchus was from the church in Thessalonica. Uh, it was a very poor church, and it was a church that had been already severely persecuted already by this time. Uh, and and Aristarchus had heard the gospel from Paul when Paul went there to Thessalonica, and he gave his life to traveling with Paul to preach the gospel to others. Now, that's why we read from Acts 19. We see there Aristarchus at work uh, with Paul, um, visiting together and um, also going to the church in, in Ephesus. And on, on that particular day that we read about, uh, Aristarchus and one other disciple named Gaius were in the city theater devoted to the goddess of, of the Ephesians. And they were there preaching the gospels. You see their, their boldness, their commitment, their hard work preaching the gospel. And, and that gospel preaching was effective, which was unfortunate for Aristarchus and Gaius, uh, because that meant persecution was coming their way. Uh, people were turning from pagan idols, joining the Christian church, and the craftsmen of the city, who were the ones who made the pagan idols, uh, were getting worried about this. Uh, and, and they recognized what this, this meant for them, so they stirred up a riot 
in Ephesus to the point that all the Ephesians are gathered there in the city center shouting, screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they rushed into the theater and dragged out Aristarchus and Gaius. What we see in these two brothers is dedication to the gospel that is willing to put themselves in harm's way so that people would come to know Christ. Uh, I, I can't imagine the courage it would take to step into a pagan city theater in a, in, a, in a very violent culture and go and preach the gospel. They were very much putting themselves in harm's way. That's commitment. Uh, in our text, Paul also sends greetings from Epiphras. Uh, he says, Epiphras is one of you, so he's a member of the Colossian church. Uh, and he says he's a servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, the word in, in the Greek is actually slave, a slave of, of Christ Jesus. And he says he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers so that you may stand mature and fully assured in the word of God. Uh, what I want to point out here is that commitment to the cause of Christ, to the kingdom of Christ, also takes the form of prayer. And that's not something that's reserved for myself, for the elders, the deacons. It's something that belongs to every one of us in the congregation. Commitment to the cause of Christ involves prayer. Now, we saw this a couple of weeks ago as well when we, we looked at the primacy of prayer in the Christian life and especially for, for Christian mission, how important it is that there are churches praying for their missionaries. Uh, and the single greatest work that, that the, the apostles themselves engaged in was preaching and prayer. That's what they wanted to devote their, their, their attention to. Uh, so they were laying the needs of the churches, the cause of Christ, daily before the throne of Christ. Uh, and, and Epiphras then was carrying that spiritual burden for his own congregation, for his own church. He was carrying that on his heart, praying for them with earnestness and commitment, feeling a sense of uh, responsibility for his own church. Do we feel that? Do we feel that sense of responsibility for our own congregation, that we're praying for our church because this is the church that Christ has placed us in. That's Epiphras. Uh, he assumes responsibility and he exercises it first of all through prayer. Uh, so we want to we realize this. If we, if we want to serve in the church, start by serving with prayer. Start with prayer. God works through your Prayers. Your prayers make a difference. And so that's Epiphras, devoted, committed to the work of Christ, exercising his commitment, first of all, through, through constant, heartfelt prayer. Uh, Paul also says of him that he worked hard, both for the Colossians, he says, as well as for the Laodiceans and the church in Hierapolis. Uh, so Epiphras was not only praying, he was also working. And, and praying and working should always come together. Uh, he, was, he was engaged in the work of preaching, teaching, discipleship, ministry, and he worked hard at it. Uh, this is why we, we do a terrible injustice to these men uh, if we think that the, the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire was, was basically the work of Paul. Uh, in reality, it took hard work, persistent dedication from many individuals like uh, Aristarchus, like Epaphras, uh, in every local church. Number three, 
I want to just notice with you briefly that the missionary team that worked with Paul was also characterized by diversity. Paul mentions uh, in, in this brief section, he mentions the men of the circumcision who worked with him, and he, he categorizes them like that. Uh, so in other words, these were fellow Jews. But then he also mentions Gentiles like Epiphras. The gospel of Christ is for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race. And Christ has people in every sheepfold that belong to him and therefore also belong to, to one another. Uh, we recognize uh, then that God is, is calling us to work together with all those who confess his name, who believe in him, uh, including people of very different ethnicities and people of very different cultural backgrounds. Uh, it was a real privilege uh, for me in particular, and I think for, for many of you as well, to have Reverend Eraldo Luna here in, in the pulpit uh, a year ago. And, and even that moment gives us a glimpse, doesn't it, of, of the, the massive multi-ethnic team that is there working for Christ, uh, building his church. And, and all of them, as you saw also in Reverend Luna, uh, sound in doctrine, engaged in the word of God, firm in faith and devoted to the glory of God's name. It's a huge team. Uh, in, the, in the work of mission that we support in, in Papua New Guinea, uh, we have the privilege of joining hands in partnership uh, with many local men and women there uh, whom Christ has called to himself and committed to, to his cause. People of very different ethnic and cultural backgrounds. Now, uh, because, because many of us, uh, not all of us, but many of us come from a, a Dutch cultural background only a few generations back, we still have within our own congregation a bit of, a bit of shared Dutch uh, culture. That's just, just the reality. That's, that's the cards that we have to work with. We need to be careful, though, that that never becomes our identity as a church. We are not to be the Dutch church. We are to be the church of Christ. Uh, in time, by God's blessing, o- over only a few generations, we will uh, see uh, more uh, racial, cultural diversity, and we want to recognize that as a blessing from God uh, and a reminder of the global scope of God's mission. And that, that isn't always easy. It comes with challenges as, as our own shared cultural uh, preferences and values might be challenged by, by other cultures. Uh, we see this very clearly in the book of Acts as you have Jews and Gentiles finding themselves in the same churches and wondering, uh, how are we ever going to get along? How can we work together? Uh, there were struggles along the way, and there, there will be. There, there will be misunderstandings. Sometimes there will be uh, suspicions. Uh, we, we tend to be suspicious of, of other cultures. And the only way to overcome those things and be united as a church is to remember that our primary, our, our only identity is that of servants of Christ, those who belong to Christ. Uh, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's our first nationality. And that's, that's how you find uh, Jews and Gentiles working together with Paul. They had a shared national identity as citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Uh, and, and sometimes working together in that way involves giving up some of your own cultural preferences, your own cultural uh, privileges, as the Jews and Gentiles did 
in those churches. The Gentiles had the, the privilege in that day of, of, of being the dominant culture in their region. But the Jews had certain privileges too of being the chosen people of God. Uh, that they now had to, to humble themselves recognizing Gentiles now share that identity with us just as much as we ourselves have it. And, and always it, remind, it, it means reminding ourselves then that we belong to Christ and that precedes everything else. Uh, we have more in common with our brothers and sisters, uh, our Christian brothers and sisters of other ethnic and other cultural backgrounds than we have with our next door neighbors who might be Canadian, uh, who might vote for the same political party that we vote for. Uh, they share our culture in the flesh But we have more in common with our brothers and sisters with whom we'll spend eternity in cultures that are very far off and that are quite different uh, from our own. So we have more in common with our our Papua New Guinean brothers and sisters in in remote villages who speak languages we've never heard of uh, and, and who probably dress and think in ways that are very foreign to us uh, than we do with our neighbor next door. Uh, It's our brother or sister in in, in Papua New Guinea with whom we'll spend eternity. Uh, So we want to recognize this too on on Paul's team. Partnership in the work of Christ means that we will uh, will cooperate in in a context of cultural and racial diversity. Uh, and, and as well, inevitably, some diversity of, of personality, of gifts, of perspectives, of opinions. Uh, there, there will be cooperation on that front as well. This is why so much of the instruction that you hear from Paul in all of his letters, uh, not to mention from the Lord Jesus himself, uh, has to do with maintaining unity of doctrine, of spirit, and of love. That's where our unity must be found. Uh, Number four, we do want to recognize too here, as we look at Paul's team, that in Christian ministry, there will also be disappointments in in our fellow workers. I want to highlight just a couple of them here in in our text. First of all, there's there's Mark. Uh, This is the same Mark who was the author of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, He's first mentioned as the son of a woman named Mary, in in whose house the early church met. That would probably mean that Mark was of a more affluent background to, to, for his, his mother to have a home big enough for the church to meet in uh, would suggest he's probably more wealthy. He's also the cousin of Barnabas, uh, who was the first missionary that worked with Paul during his, his very first mission trips. The, the book of Acts tells us that Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first trip, but for some reason, we don't know why, for some reason he gave up partway through that trip. Uh, while they were in Pamphylia, it says he left them to do the work on their own. So he, he abandoned in the middle of, of his journey. And we don't know why this is, uh, but it it did happen, if you look at the context, it did happen after they went through a very rough season in in Cyprus, where they encountered stiff opposition, even demonic opposition, and they had, as a result of that, one convert. Their hard work, much opposition, one convert. And shortly after, Mark abandons them. So most likely, uh, we can, if we're reading between the lines, we can assume that uh, perhaps Mark was discouraged by just the lack of reception, the amount of opposition, and decided maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe Christ isn't calling us to do this. Uh, later on, 
after Paul and Barnabas returned home, after what in the end turned out to be a very successful uh, mission trip, a very fruitful journey, Paul wanted to go out again and visit the churches again. We read about this in Acts 15. And Barnabas was willing to go with him, but Barnabas wanted to take Mark with him. And Acts 15 tells us that a sharp disagreement arose between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, the Greek word is actually very strong there. It means a shouting match. Uh, so, so these two apostles are yelling at each other. That's the, the, the degree of difference that they feel over whether Mark should be there. Uh, Paul absolutely refused to take Mark with him because he had deserted them already. So from Paul's perspective, Mark's a quitter. He's a fair-weather missionary uh, and therefore not dependable. He didn't have what it takes to be a missionary. And in the end, they go separate ways. A partnership in Christian ministry is going to involve disappointments from time to time. It's hard work. It requires taking a tough stance uh, when that needs to be done, making uh, significant sacrifices. And there are going to be people that back out, that aren't in it, that don't have the courage for it. Uh, Here within the church, uh, also, the work of maturity that we're called to, to building each other up, to becoming a mature, strong church, uh, dealing with sin, uh, that is work that inevitably takes us through tough times, through hard work, uh, forcing us to deal with things we might rather ignore. Uh, And that can be scary and sometimes very lonely work. Uh, Over the years, there will be people that disappoint us, that disagree with us along the way. Now, in the case of Mark, there's a beautiful redemptive end to that story. Uh, Many years later, we find Paul commending Mark uh, to the Colossians here in our text and encouraging them to welcome him. So evidently, uh, his his own reputation, Mark's reputation, had suffered as a result of of his quitting. Uh, And the Colossians then needed special instructions about what do we do with with Mark. And Paul encourages them to receive him and to honor, honor him. Uh, those, those instructions that Paul speaks of would have undoubtedly explained what happened, why did Mark uh, leave, and why, does, why do Paul and Barnabas now think that Mark should, should join them again. Uh, perhaps it, after Paul and, and Barnabas returned, Mark maybe realized that he had been a coward, that God was working in spite of the opposition, and that there was fruit at the end of the road. Maybe he realized, I gave up too quickly, I was wrong to back out. Well, sadly, uh, trust, trust can be uh, broken very quickly, and it takes years to, to restore. But by God's grace, there was restoration there with, with Mark. In fact, by the, by the very end of Paul's life, when he wrote 2 Timothy, he writes this as well. He writes, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. What a redemptive end to this relationship between, between Paul and Mark. There's a story of grace and forgiveness behind the scenes there. And in the end, God used Mark to write one of the four Gospels by which we now know about our Lord Jesus Christ. There's another disappointment too, though, in this team, and that's Demas. Mark, Mark started poorly and finished well. Unfortunately, Demas seems to have started well, but finished Poorly. Uh, he had the courage to face opposition, but not the endurance to, 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 to uh, carry on to the end. Uh, here in Colossians, this precedes uh, Demas's abandonment. Uh, so Paul simply sends greetings from Demas. 
But sometime later on, Demas deserted Paul and the other apostles. Uh, And it's possible that uh, some speculate that already there was something going on already by this point, because Paul, whenever he commends any of the brothers here in these texts, he he has a a special word about them, that they're a faithful servant, uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever, whatever he says about them. But he doesn't have anything special to say about Demas as he does for the others. And by the end of his ministry, in 2 Timothy, when he's writing to, to Timothy, he writes, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. There are disappointments like that. In Christian ministry, disappointments are, are real. And they're not uncommon, and they're extremely painful. Uh, fellow Christians that you, you trust can turn out to have a heart that's more in love with the world than with Christ. That's just not in, in the right place. Uh, now, now, thankfully, there are brothers who stick to the end uh, and share that same commitment. But when, they are dis- when there are disappointments, they are discouraging. Uh, and I think this is a reminder here for us as we reflect on our own, uh, the relationships that exist between, between all of us, a reminder for each of us to know where our conviction lies. Where is our heart? Is our heart in love with the world like Demas is, even as we serve Christ? Or is it committed to the cause of Christ? Uh, We are are to know where our conviction is and not to break the bonds of of relationship for fear of being disappointed. Know where you stand. Uh, don't, Don't be afraid to work together with your brothers and sisters, provided you know where your convictions lie. Cling, then, first and foremost to Christ, and know what you believe, and work with those who share uh, your commitment, those whom God has placed here in this congregation. Uh, we, we are also, it's also a reminder for us to be faithful in, in correcting, in encouraging, in admonishing one another, where we see things that are not right. Uh, for, for you elders and, and, and the deacons, uh, it's important that you, you talk often with your fellow elders and deacons. Uh, encourage them. Uh, get to know their heart. Uh, and, and for all of us, it's a reminder, as we think of disappointments, it's also a reminder of the tremendous blessing that, that there is in faithful friends, in faithful partners in missionary and, 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 and ministry work. Uh, you think of, of a friend like Jonathan was to David, uh, a friend who was there in spite of his own family being opposed to David, in spite of uh, him having to give up privileges that he was going to inherit in order to stand there next to David because he saw God working there with David. Uh, as I read a, a text like, like this one, uh, with all of the, the love and the, the deep relationship you can see right there on the surface of, of the text, uh, I certainly am reminded of the need for us here in this church to develop those bonds of relationship, those, those relationships that show commitment uh, to one another. Uh, we recognize that it is the reality that our friends on earth, as, as Psalm 27 says, our friends on earth may fail and leave us. Uh, and, and yet our only perfectly faithful friend who will never disappoint us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And our hope and confidence must be in him before it's anywhere else. And when, when that is the case, we can also be good friends, faithful friends, encouraging friends to one another. Uh, Finally then, 
uh, fifthly, I want to end on a, a joyful note here and observe with you also the brotherly love that's, that's right here on the surface of, of our text. And my prayer is that this may serve also as a model for us as we work, uh, and speaking not just to the elders and deacons here, but to all of us as we work side by side for one another's growth for the cause of Christ here in, in Alora. Uh, see, just notice the brotherly love that's there. You see it all through, through the text. So verse 7, Tychicus is a beloved brother. Verse 9, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Uh, Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Uh, Verse 12, Epaphras, a servant of Christ Jesus. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician. I'm going to stop there and just make a point about this. Uh, Luke was a medical doctor. Uh, who accompanied Paul wherever he went. And you can well imagine how Paul would have had a special affection and love for Luke, given all the beatings that, that Paul had to endure, all the wounds that he would have received that needed attending to. And there was Luke beside him, uh, attending to him, uh, helping him along the way. Uh, Paul was also, of course, we know, crippled by, by a failing eyesight. He had very poor eyes. Uh, and, and so he would have needed Luke's help also there. And we see in Luke a deep devotion to the Apostle Paul. As a doctor and an educated man, um, he, could be, he could have been making a good income in, in the Roman Empire doing his, his career. Uh, but he was instead next to Paul, devoted to Paul because of his commitment to Christ. Uh, in Christian ministry... There is a deep and and a really delightful and wonderful camaraderie that exists between brothers and sisters who love the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as you yourself do. I can't express in words even how much I love the brothers who work with me on council, the elders and and the deacons. Uh, There's such a sweet fellowship uh, that is there. Uh, and, and it's something that cannot be taken for granted. Uh, we are brothers in arms. Uh, we, are, we are fellow soldiers. We've rejoiced together. We've shed tears together. We've struggled side by side. We've cried out to God in prayer together. Uh, we've experienced hard times together. Uh, and, and, and through all of that, there's an inexpressible fellowship of, of being brothers and sisters working together, speaking more broadly now, brothers and sisters working together, uh, serving the same Christ. That brings a sweet fellowship that, that is not known. I, I do not believe it is known uh, anywhere else in the world. Uh, every time there's, there's a changeover, the, the retiring elders and deacons uh, have to say their goodbyes. And there are often tears in those moments because they've struggled and fought together. Uh, and here I'm not, I'm not thinking only of the fellow members on council. Uh, when I think of Christian fellowship and partnership in, in serving Christ, I'm not about to mention names, uh, but I can think of many brothers and sisters in the congregation here who serve in, in different capacities uh, with whom there's an amazingly wonderful, sweet fellowship uh, through various joys and sorrows uh, as we serve Christ together. Uh, I think of the fellowship on the brother, among the brothers and sisters in life renewal as they struggle as they fight side by side uh, for, for renewal and change and freedom uh, on, on those front lines. There's a sweet fellowship there. Uh, there, are, there are moments of anguish. There are moments of heaviness as we serve Christ together. But there are shared moments of joy and victory that are also tremendously sweet. 
there are those who, who also pour themselves out in leadership, on the Bible studies, uh, or in the evangelism team who work side by side. There are those involved in the schools uh, as, as teachers or members of the board, pouring themselves out, laboring for the kingdom of Christ, for the discipling of, of our children. And, and by no means is that restricted uh, to, to the men. Uh, I think of the ladies who, who, have, who have pushed one another, who have pushed me, uh, pushing me to go serve in, in campfire uh, or, or organizing events or making meals, visiting and encouraging one another. I, I think of the ladies who, who too have been involved in, in specific situations of, of trial, of suffering, and, and the ladies are there helping each other, helping their, their sisters as they struggle, walking that hard road of discipleship. Uh, with them, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Uh, Paul mentions even here in our text, uh, Nympha, uh, that's, that's a woman, Nympha and the church that met in her house. So there's hospitality. There's, there's using the resources at your disposal for the, the purpose of the kingdom of Christ. There's, there's uh, to, to, to sum it up, there's much work that needs to be done. And it is the work of Christ which he carries through uh, the joint efforts of many servants who labor in love for his name and glory, who are pulling in the same direction. Uh, We see a glimpse of that then here in in our text. And and this text is a reminder to me that that partnership is absolutely essential to have uh, uh, for an effective Christian ministry, whether that's in outreach, whether that's in discipleship, whether that's in growing together as a congregation uh, towards maturity. I want to encourage you young people as well, uh, in particular here. Uh, oftentimes, if, if you're a young person and you're in college or in some other uh, transitory stage in your life where you're not sure where you're going next, not sure what the future brings uh, for you next, uh, it's very easy to become detached, disconnected from, from the church to which you belong. Uh, but as long as you are members here, you're members here for a reason. Christ has put you here for a reason. Uh, We confess in the Catechism, I am and forever shall remain a living member of Christ's church. Uh, And then later on, every member is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. It's very easy in that transitory stage uh, that you might be in to, to just miss out on the work and the labor that's happening around you. Uh, And and I want you to know that there are many, many brothers and sisters. You may not see it. There are many brothers and sisters around you working hard for the kingdom of of Christ. Uh, And and they are are working here, right here in in this church. Uh, The well-being, the ongoing life of the church could not happen without this joint labor from many servants. Uh, and, and you are also then, speaking again to you young people, you are also called to be part of that kingdom labor. Uh, in that work, there is a deep and sweet fellowship that you will experience uh, as being part of Christ's work, as you enjoy laboring together, struggling together, fighting together uh, for Him. In conclusion, then, I want to acknowledge that all of this that we experience, this fellowship, this struggle that we experience together as Christ's congregation, is by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God that we're still here as a church, uh, that we enjoy the love and the fellowship that we do. Uh, the, the, The work, the hard work that is involved is first and foremost Christ's work 
within us and through us, giving us both the will and the working, Philippians 2, uh, verse 12 and 14. So, So also speaking, if there are any guests in our midst, Christ is calling you to repent, to believe, to be part of his church. Uh, There is a church that is bought by the blood of Christ, a community of sinners who've been forgiven, who know the identity that they have, that is something the world does not have, uh, whose lives are now committed to him because they're bought by him and belong to him. If you're a guest in our midst, Christ is calling you to face your creator, to reckon with your sin, to reckon with Christ while there's still time, to turn from a life of sin, to find restored peace with God, and through that to find also peace and fellowship with brothers and sisters who belong to Christ. Fellow sinners, not not righteous people who are better than others, fellow sinners together bought by the blood of Christ and forgiven. Uh, That's the whole message, in fact, of this entire letter. As we look back over this letter, that's the whole message of this letter to, to the Colossians. You were once in a kingdom of darkness, enslaved to your sin, alienated from God, hostile. You've been bought by the blood of Christ, brought into his kingdom where you not only belong to him, where you not only experience redemption for all your sins, but where you also experience deep, sweet fellowship with Christ and with your brothers and sisters here on earth. So if your life is counted with Christ, you have a new identity, a new inheritance, a new kingdom, and a new future. And he calls each of us now who belong to him to also give our lives to the cause of his great and glorious name. Amen. Let's sing in response from Psalm 133, stanzas 1 and 2.